Minds on Muscle community, welcome to the Fitness Pro Mentors interview series. If you want to hear some amazing interviews from amazing fitness professionals all over the world, please join our Fitness Pro Mentors private Facebook group. But today, let's make it rain. Everyone, welcome to another edition of the Fitness Pro Mentors podcast where we interview exercise titans and people who are awesome. And frankly, he's a titan and he's awesome, Mr. Tom Purvis. Tom, how you doing, man? It's so great how you just dive into your radio show, your DJ voice. <laughs> got to get into the role and just go with it, man. I'm going to have to step up my game if we're going to do this, I guess. <laughs> you know what? I got to say, honestly, a lot of this comes from an experience I had with you, I guess, 10 years ago. I remember we were in your office and you were recording a video for RTS International and you had a little teleprompter. I was pushing the arrow down and I watched you do like, you figured out a script, you practiced talking and you, I think it was for Marianne. You were doing like an endorsement for oh, them. Oh, oh, gotcha. Oh yeah, I, I remember now. It was kind of like a, it's kind of like an ad really, right? Or something it, like that. Yeah, and you had the camera set up with the computer like right below it, and I was teleprompter duty, and you basically told me don't f up, and I was pushing the button, <laughs> and you you did the whole good advice. I don't care what we're doing. <laughs> you know what's funny is I was at a it's terrible my grandfather's step grandfather's funeral, and my stepsister was giving a speech, and she said, "Do you have one piece of advice?" And I said, "A good mentor of mine said one thing once: don't f up." And she started laughing. <laughs> so thank you for that. I appreciate it. So you so you, you made her uh, you made her laugh a little a little bit lighthearted going into something heavy, I guess, right? That's absolutely it. And so I mean, talking about lighthearted, I mean, you were just busting my chops before getting here. You're saying it's been 11 years since the last time I came or when I first came through RTS Mastery. Ten years. Yeah. No, you're right. Ten years. Ten years. Ten years. That's yeah. Cool. Something like that. Incredible. <clears throat> cool. So um, we had a lot of people asking questions and like wanted to check in with you. And I mean, one of the questions that we had right off the bat from Mike Ruble was, uh, "What have you been up to, man? What are you working on right now?" Does anybody really care? I mean, these questions. <laughs> that's so weird to me that someone is is interested in what someone is going on in someone else's life. I just I find that so weird. I've never asked anybody ever. What have you been doing? Because <laughs> I just don't care. I've got plenty without the soap opera of other people's lives. Now you realize in Oklahoma when you say "What have you been up to?" That's just a way of saying hi. Fair you enough. Know? So anyway, it's like, what have you been up to? What have you been up cares? to? There's been a lot of stuff in the past. Well, obviously 2020, and you tell me when to shut up because I can go on about anything longer than anybody wants to hear it. But <clears throat> 2020, we didn't have any classes, of course, uh, just like you guys didn't have a city to walk around in virtually, right? Right. So I got this crazy idea. I was talking to a friend of mine. I'd finally found his number. Somebody I hadn't talked to in maybe 10 or 12 years and he was and I actually put this interview up on YouTube on my my channel personal but um, I think I did Um, it's a friend of mine that was actually used to work for Nautilus but he was the little kid if anybody remembers Pumping Iron do you remember Pumping Iron? oh yeah most people haven't seen it in forever so they wouldn't remember except this one person out of all the people you might remember is the little short teenage guy with the blonde curly hair and Arnold was teaching him how to pose and stuff, you know? Do you remember that? I do remember that guy. That's this guy. (laughs) Okay. So it's cool because, I I mean, when I first, I'd been working with him for a long time when I consulted for Nautilus, and he he was telling me about, he mentioned something about, I don't know, knowing Lou or something, and I go, Lou, Lou Ferrigno? He goes, yeah, because, you know, we kind of got to know each other after pumping iron, and I'm like, He's saying all this like I already knew. And anyway, I talked to him on the phone one night and I woke up in the middle of the night and I thought, you know what? 
there's there's some cool behind the scenes stories that he has to have tons of that need to be on video. So I thought, I'm just going to get in the car, I'm going to drive over there with all my stuff, and I'm going to interview him. And along the way, I started thinking, shit, there's about, we ended up with like 18 people to interview, people that had worked with Arthur Jones, who unfortunately is not around anymore. But nobody liked him, but I would love to hear, hear his stories. But there was a bunch of old Nautilus guys. There was the engineer who just retired from Nautilus after 40 years. And you know I love talking to those guys about how they decided to come up with this specific leg press versus this leg press and the problems with it, which they always find. They never run around thinking they created, you know, the end-all, be-all, because they're engineers, and it's like, what's next? So anyway, we did this in the middle of COVID. Well, it was about two months into COVID, uh, a two-week road trip, interviewing all these cool people. Finally, it started we started getting a big, big resurgence down in the tip of Florida, so we said, screw it, we're coming back. Um, anyway, after I got back, I went equipment crazy. I, I had never really just cut a piece of equipment apart. I'd always tried to modify with the maggots and stuff like we talk about. And I'd do a little bit of welding if something, but man, I just took, I took a bunch of Kaiser and I just cut it into pieces strategically, not like I was pissed off at it. And changed the profiles from what I'd learned that Arthur was trying to do with Medex and that, that he failed at it in Nautilus, which is really interesting. I didn't quite understand that he started medics and sold Nautilus because he thought Nautilus was everything he'd done was wrong. And I think that's a genius, a master of something when it's, they don't run around saying how great they are. They're like, oh my God, this 30 years is wrong. This was just a big prototype thing. And he went and started medics. <clears throat> and it was, I love that because, you know, I, I know so many people that quite frankly, they're not experts or, or they wouldn't think this way. But, you know, it's all over social media, which is just a People don't know how much they're embarrassing themselves on social media. Um, I don't know any true experts that are running around commenting on other people's stuff. I mean, Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, this physicist, he's not running around commenting on other physicists' stuff because none of them are on social media because they're grown-ups. And true experts, and they don't need that, right? So whoever's dying in the background, who's dying in your background there? So we are, if everyone is listening, we're above my gym. And so there's a gentleman down there who's doing some awesome stuff. He's not warming up, he's working really hard. Oh, and, and you're saying awesome facetiously, or you mean awesome? I hope awesome, really <laughs> awesome. At my place, I hope it's awesome. Check. Anyway, yeah, so I got back and I spent the last half of last year and the first third or quarter of this year doing nothing but cutting apart welding, seeing how close I was, starting over again, modifying. It just, been, and I got, much more accomplished at figuring out what a profile, what profiles should be for specific things. And I gotta tell you, I, I didn't realize how much, I knew there was a lot I didn't know about profiles. I knew that it was tough to test these things. I'm not sure anybody gets how tough it is to test these things. You know, where what your strengths are at different points within a range. And, um, and it, it is range specific. But also, I realized that with Arthur's goal before he died, I was trying to build strength pro resistance profiles around strength profiles. And it wasn't until I started trying to match a human that I realized how far off I'd been before. And sometimes you can do it with tubing, and sometimes you can do it with those little magnets on a can. 
and some mostly you can't come close. Um, and so it's been really, really interesting. And that's part of the, as we started back up with the queuing and doing in um, July or August, August was here. Um, it's been fun to put people on these things with this specific Arthur Jones defined test for what a good resistance profile should be and see how close we are. And it's, it's really fun. Sunday, if you, if they allow you in and out of Canada again, you should come down and play on some of this stuff because it's absolutely amazing. And it just, like I said, it's painfully obvious I didn't know anything five years ago. So I have, Charlie McMillan asked an amazing question. That's gonna be my next question. But Who? on that note, Charlie, Mr. McMillan. Oh, he's on here? Yeah, he asked a question. I, I, it's a huge one, so I gotta make sure oh, I read through it. You're doing this wrong, man. This needs to be like a group deal. We will like do a group deal. Round table. Listen, we're getting ahead of the game here. And he said, Charlie, I said, yes, he is watching. We're ahead of the game. Listen, let's do this and then we'll do some group things. We'll have some fun. But, okay. But now before I ask Charlie's question, you said something interesting about Arthur Jones. And I wonder if you could relate it to your own business and practice and how you'd explore things. I was listening to this really interesting guy who developed an amazing brand and it was like a clothing brand and it had grown to the point that the brand had become something that was different than he was trying to portray. It grew too big, it grew a different direction, it was extremely successful, but wasn't what he was trying to do with his clothing. Now, of course, very different. We're talking about art and some different stuff. But with Arthur Jones, he talked about Nautilus and how it kind of wasn't exactly what he wanted to do and Medex was more of how he was thinking of things. For you, with the amazing products you've created over the years, have some of your stuff, RT, resistance training specialists, I mean, RTS123, I know you've developed it, but has some of your products and content kind of changed into something that you didn't really mean for it to? And how do you feel about that? <clears throat> I treat everything the same way. There's a couple ways I could try to describe it. Um, let me say, first of all, when I, when I say I treat everything the same way, I mean, in my mind, everything I do sucks the second it's done. It's, it, needs to be, it needs to be fixed the second it's done. With classes, I don't really often know what that is. When you come out of the creative process, I don't know until I've taught it for several years. And I start going, why on earth did I put this part last when it should have been in the middle or first or something? But the problem is during the creative process, you don't know where things should be. This is a problem for a student in my mind. People dive into something and they think they're looking at a finished product. And they think that finished product is the same way it was the first day it was ever delivered. And I know of nothing that is that way. And if you don't realize that, look at computers and look at your phone. People keep saying, why do they keep updating? Because, well, part of it's money, of course. But part of any technology is they see what they could have done better. And certainly we've seen from Windows 8 to whatever, where that's just a big fat mistake because the people making those decisions often aren't real people. They just like cool things to them and that doesn't always work out for the rest of us. But, so a class like RTS 1, 2, 3, um, when Peter was teaching that, it was, it was a live thing from 08 till about 12, I think maybe 14, somewhere in there. <clears throat> and it was, you know, a three weekend thing. And it, it had changed from what we had before that. And it was a big, it was basically mastery light, if you remember. I do, yeah. It was lecture and practical and too much lecture and not enough practical ones. And it became really obvious that people would sit there and go, look, the, the big problem is I'm always trying to, just, what, could you, what could you actually do with a client Monday? Or if you became more skilled at it, I teach you how to throw a baseball. 
analogy. And that doesn't mean you can throw a baseball on Monday the way you were taught. You're going to have to practice. It's same with training. People think that it's training is just a matter of counting, showing people some exercises. They don't get that for these people, it's about motor learning. What you're really trying to do is get people to own stuff. You used to have a business partner that said, you know, you can't challenge it until you can control it. And as long as control is a challenge, every other form of challenge is inappropriate. And while that's a little, little, that can be taken as a little bit of extreme because nobody is going to have perfect control over their body as a random person walking around the street who has no sensations that others might have, who has not paid attention to it for 40, 50, or 60 years. Right. But <clears throat> so training, training is just this mastery level thing as anything should be. It's not a dive in and just do it thing. That's very, very childish. It's not a generalization thing. And I, I believe all of that is true about anything I create, whether it's a piece of equipment. Um, or well, look, I going back to class and the equipment analogy of each other, I will take something, a piece of equipment, and it, I don't even have to like it. I don't even have to, well, sometimes I work on it and work on it and I never use it because I really didn't care about this tricep machine or this whatever. I just, what can I do with it? Like, how far can I take it? And I'll do something with it and I'm like, my God, that is so much better than it was. And I will blow it off and then I'll go work on some other stuff and learn from doing other things. And I'll come back and I'll go, and I think this could be a little better. And the whole press process starts all over again with whatever I learned from, from the things that followed it. And, um, and that's the same way I write. That's the same way I deliver. In fact, I got to where I really hated, I hate it. I hate the written word for me because um, I always want to change it. I don't get to put the emotions into it. And to me, delivery of information, um, as, as you know from reading a science manual versus when we had the science courses and sitting in there where it's a live experience I, it's a show to me and it's a show not to you know aggrandize myself it's not for entertainment value it's for learning purposes can i make this thing come alive can i say charlie is one of the perfect examples the dumb stuff i did when he came through science in 2004 or something I will go to no ends to embarrass myself and, and Brandon, as you know, I will go to no ends to embarrass you to make a point, you know? <laughs> I'm okay with that. Let's do it. <laughs> I don't know if that answers your question, but I, hopefully the things that I want people to get out of that is just, it's not a matter of not stopping for the sake of not stopping. It's because you actually are constantly critiquing your own stuff. Listen, I want to find what's wrong with my stuff before anybody else finds out what's wrong with my stuff. And that's one problem with social media. They think they found problems with your stuff when they never understood in the first place. <laughs> you know, it's like you guys are wasting my time. I won't even, I won't even talk to random people out there because it's just, it's just, it's like watching George Costanza on Seinfeld. It's just so embarrassing. You can't, you can't, you have to turn off. Your so anyway, anyway yeah. did I remotely answer your question with all that nonsense I said? You, you remotely answered that question. You did pretty good. I like <laughs> it. You did pretty good. Yeah, Charlie says it was uh, 2002. I think when he came through all of your crazy oh. stuff. Um, so on that note, I mean, on the teaching note, I think that's kind of interesting. You said an analogy to me once that actually like really resonated with me and it's influenced how I think about teaching um, all the time. And you talked about like you had this book and it was your, your RTS Science 1 brainstorming book. I'd say it's the Tom version, if you will. At least at the time I was coming. And you said, you see this big book? This book I wish could be all just translucent pieces of paper. And they were all being taught kind of simultaneously. But the problem with teaching is it's like you have to teach it in some sort of linear order. And then you have to double back to something you said and then make it all kind of cohesive. 
Um, I know you've created the online content and you've tried to evolve that teaching style over the decades. Have you? Do you feel like you're getting closer to that like multifaceted, translucent piece of paper analogy you said to me? Well, um, I think these videos. First of all, I, I need people to maybe realize if they're not. I don't need them to, but maybe they would benefit from realizing that the online content was the original goal and still for my portion of it and there's going to be other presenters on it when they get their stuff done um it wasn't meant to be the tom purvis show it's just the only thing i have access right <laughs> it's the only thing i have access to right now um because I, I i nudged to charlie i would love to have about a thousand hours of his stuff on there but um so science one and science two were collectively about 56 hours and the limitations were so severe that over the years, I would get rid of the introduction. Three hours of introduction was gone. It grew to three hours. The last science class I actually taught, I didn't get to joint forces. I didn't get to orchestration. I didn't get to closed chains. And those were the big conclusion of the whole thing originally. But the problem is, you know, you're limited by days that you preset and people aren't just going to start coming for weeks at a time. And the thing that really annoyed me also, um, two things. Uh, it, it bothered me. We got to where 50 to 60% of the people coming to Mastery were international. So I felt weird them flying five times to what was already a limited version of information uh, in the classroom. And plus, in the classroom, they're sitting on their butts. The gym, you got to be in the gym. You got to have these 10 people, and some of them have knee problems, and some of them can squat 1,000 pounds. And they, that part of being a trainer is we need to be able to deal with that continuum. And even if someone says, oh, I only work with powerlifters, it's like, you, then you don't understand how much you can learn from people who can't do anything. And if you can apply that mindset to someone who's struggling with something in powerlifting, even if it's just lifting more weight, it's, it's an incredible skill, uh, honed thought process to develop. Um, but the other thing is, every time I would sit down, and you, you've seen also that notebook we're talking about, I got to where I didn't update that for you guys every time, but I had post-it notes sticking out of that thing and all the margins were written in. And I presented from my version and I said, you guys need to write this down. You guys need to write that down. I actually handed, handed out paper for you and all that stuff. Um, and that's the thing is when I would sit down before to update the manual, I don't know if anybody knows what I mean, but I, I, I would immediately get in the mindset of how I structured the chapter before. And I'm not talking about necessarily moment arms. That's just, figuring out how to deliver science in a non-sciencey way. Um, but other things that were truly like more my creations, uh, and honestly, I, in the end, I spent more time working on how to deliver something, what's the best way to teach it, um, than really exploring the science itself, um, in large part. But when I did the online stuff, back to that, I didn't put any boundaries on myself because that was one of the benefits of doing it. So I'm not done. I'm about two thirds of the way done and I've got 120 hours representing what used to be two thirds of 56 hours. So, and it's just being able to teach it the way it should be taught, giving it what it deserves and trying to explain things. And some people are like, well, why is this so long? It's like, man, if you ever watched students struggle, again, I didn't learn from teaching people who understood this stuff. I learned from teaching people who didn't. And I don't see many college professors doing that anymore. And I, I shouldn't say that. I haven't seen very many of them lately. But I just watch people present, and it's just rote. It's protocolish. And, man, you got to teach the, to the person struggling the most. 
And so that's what all the videos are. There was a guy who got all over me. Why is this closed chain six hours? I'm like, then you've never tried to teach closed chain. You don't realize the dilemma in the physical therapy world. You don't realize that what everybody's saying is flat wrong. People go, how could everybody be wrong? It's because they're all quoting the same guy who was wrong. I mean, when you're, your one source was wrong and everybody worships that, quote, doesn't even understand what he said or didn't realize it. But anyway, when I developed this stuff, I did not go back and look at my manual, Brandon. I didn't go back and look at a single chapter. I started from scratch on everything, so I would not follow a 25-year-old Purvis mindset in, in, in levers or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So, and when I did that, man, I saw huge, gaping, chasmic flaws and, and missing pieces of what I'd done before when I created the new story based upon the way I understood it now, and which included a lot of information from people like Charlie and Jacques and things that I acquired along the way that I didn't know where they fit in before, but it didn't matter anymore because I was building it around and with all this new set of bricks and wood and up-to-date stuff. So <clears throat> that is I, that is one thing I wish I could teach. I wish I could teach people to adopt a mastery process, to challenge themselves. And there's, to me, there's very few things that you have to do. And they're basic things like, number one, question everything you do. Never assume you're right. Never, ever assume you're right. You should always be asking, what am I missing? And that doesn't mean that doesn't mean be insecure about what you're doing. Oh, I don't know enough yet to do anything. It's like, yeah, you do. That's how you start finding out what you don't know is to try with what you do know. Cautiously, not random and not like a, a bull in a china shop. But, you know, um, everything you do should be, well, I'm going to think about that later and see if there's something I come up with. Um, I'm going to analyze this later. I'm going to... You know, you don't have to interrupt every five seconds of your life, but you need to be recording it visually and going back and saying, how could I have done that better for that client? How could if any, I got to tell you, being satisfied with oneself, and I don't mean in a, <laughs> being satisfied with the work you're putting out is a mistake. It's just flat a mistake. Do you, do you know any musicians who are entirely happy with, I, I was, I would, can you hear in your mind the drummers that you think are the best saying, well, I'm good enough. I really don't need to get any better. Could you envision that? To look at a true master, there's never been one that said that. And our industry is filled with people that are so pleased with themselves because, oh, I made my client tired. Let me tell you something. Any idiot can make a workout hard. Any idiot can make someone throw up. Any idiot can make someone tired. But is it appropriate? Is that what it takes to make this? That's stupid. Now, you got someone that is prepared for it, that has worked to where that level of challenge is appropriate for them, easily tolerable in terms of their ability to, to stay together while they're doing it, has worked up to their tissue tolerance, their nervous system tolerance, their motor skills are flawless, like a power lifters have to be. They can't have a hiccup in what they're doing. You know, like you see some of the kids when they're learning the bench press and they're all over. A power lifter can't have 700 pounds on a bar and have a hiccup in skills. And I think those things, then sure, balls to the wall, man. That's part of the reason those people are who they are and how they got where they, they are. But two things about that. Number one, I'm not sure that we have any evidence just because people who are people who are big or strong have always done it that way, or so we think. Um, that doesn't mean that's the way it has to be done. That just means they tolerated and got good. And I'm not saying it's not. This is a problem when you bring up something. If I say I'm not sure they had to do what they did in order to get there, I'm also, I'm also not saying 
but they didn't have to do that. I'm just saying we've got to go back and say, what are we missing? And just because we've always done something that way doesn't mean it's the best way. It's just the religion we currently believe in. And um, I use that analogy a lot, or I will here in a minute. But so that's, that's just a, a huge thing to me is training is not about difficult until it's time for it to be difficult. It's not about fast until it's appropriate for it to be fast. Well, fast has to become flawless. There's no Usain Bolt type guy or, or coach of that type of guy who started out his first day in, at 12 years old running and said, never did a coach say, run as fast as you can, we'll work on form later. It's, it's all about form. Whether it's not getting hurt so you can run or whether it's becoming who you might possibly be through your window of opportunity. But um, yeah, I don't know, man. I think that's the whole thing about this, the skill thing. Oh, did you tell me about it or did I just stumble onto it? There's a documentary called Hired Gun that you would love. And it's about something to the effect of the tagline, the 30 greatest musicians you've never heard of. And they're all studio guys yes. and they're in bands and stuff and everybody fights over them because it's like, Right, and they're those guys. They never stop getting better. Yes. You know, they're not the performers. They're not the front guys. Awesome. I love that. It's, it's an amazing documentary. If anyone hasn't checked it yeah. out, I definitely recommend it because it kind of speaks to what you're talking about. I think that a lot of the people, I think like you, I mean, and me more so, not so much you because you do have some notoriety. You've had some notoriety in the industry, but you think of the McMillans, um, the Jacques, and all these other people. Behind the scenes, there are some people who are doing some really brilliant stuff like these hired gun musicians, which is just incredible and they're the ones who's really making the big change i hate saying this and i know that you'll know what i'm talking about for you there's a lot of stuff that you put out there in front of people through the resistance training specialist program that was definitely groundbreaking and had people rethink exercise and level up now there are dozens of people who have taken regurgitated pieces of things that you've taught and are starting to throw it into their program and it's a bummer because the notoriety of that information, I mean, it starts, a lot of it starts with people before you and then repackaging in a way that with new information that you've really done an amazing job with previous partners to create the current program, so to speak. Um, I don't know. How do you feel about that? I mean, it's, you've well, kind of been the hired gun. At this point in time, given that I've been teaching for uh, 35 years, um, <clears throat> It, there are very few of my original students, if you will, people who sat in my class at IDEA, classes of 1500, people who came to early NASM when I ran that for 10 year, first 10 years of its existence before it went to crap. Um, there are very few first generation students out there. And this is part of the thing. If someone will present something, some, I'm gonna say kid, let's pretend he's 28. How old are you now? 30, I'm going to be 34 in a month. Oh, wow. Well, you're old now. I'm old now. I'm not a kid anymore. Not translucent boy. Um, but they're out there showing segmental proportions on a squat and not showing it correctly. And they think they came up with it. When really, they're probably 10th generation. And it's the telephone game, man. Whoever, even if the person that, even the person was one of my instructors and knew it well. By the time it gets filtered down to some employee at their facility who just randomly shows somebody, I mean, it's there's very few people out there saying things accurately. But man, the one thing, again, you can screw up. You can say, you can describe something incorrectly, but the thing to do is go, well, let me show, let me show you this thing as I currently understand it. 
Because as soon as I say that, I've said, right, that um, I'm not pretending I know it all. If everybody on social media would do that, they wouldn't look half as stupid. Um, and if they said, now, I didn't come up with this, but I think I've got a twist on it or two. I'll try to show you the difference from what I believe I learned. Um, and realize nobody, nobody ever exactly understands their teacher or the person they're quoting or the person they're stealing stuff from. Because there's a good chance that when someone heard it from me, I was not good at it yet. <laughs> so they got, in essence, half-assed stuff for what it might be now. It's just a generational thing, and it's no different. There was a terrible movie called Multiplicity, where Michael Keaton was this guy that was uh, too busy for his life, and so he cloned himself, and the first clone was kind of okay, but had some flaws, and the, the second or third clone was just a complete idiot. And um, that's kind of what happens <laughs> with information when it goes down the chain. So um, the more that people create caveats like, um, I'm not sure I get this right, but it might help some of you, but no, everybody's on social media. It seems that a lot of people are on, are on social media spouting to look like the man, so to speak, rather than actually trying to offer information. And there are so many generalizations. Well, you have to do this exercise this way. For who? There's actually some people out there saying that if someone says, so who's that for and what's the goal, then they don't understand exercise. And it's like, I got to tell you, I added it up the other day as best I could. I have 51,000 hours of working with patients and clients. 51,000. It would take you eight hours a day, every day, for 10 years to get the same thing. And I have to admit, the first eight, seven or eight years, I wasn't looking to improve. I was just protocolizing everything because that's what we learned in, in physical therapy school and that to some degree was bodybuilding. This reps, this, this many sets, these exercises, all that stuff. And it wasn't until I started my own place that I went, that's not good enough. I've got to, I can't, why are only half these people able to do this exercise in physical therapy? Why don't I find what they can do and that's the exercise they do today? Why, why am I moving to the second week protocol when they can't get past the first week yet? So just that whole idea of if they had any real experience, they would know that only the excessively tolerant can do this bench press or whatever that way. So it's just a sign of incredibly low experience level and childishness, lack of maturity. So, I mean, we've talked about social media when I've had you on before, and it, it's, uh, it's unfortunate there are some people who are a little, they have some knowledge, diluted versions, but they have a gigantic podium because of their physique and or notoriety they've built on Instagram or Facebook, whatever it may be. And for whatever reason, their voice is louder. It's just, there was a quote you used to have about the loudest person, and I can't remember what it is, but these people are doing a bad job, and it's not great. I want to ask you, there's something that Charlie asked. I think it's great. And I'm going to take a second to try and read through it, like as best I can, because you know Charlie is extremely detailed. I love him. I will not be able to get through this all. But Tom, I mean, he basically says that you were the single biggest influence in his career and to his approach to exercise. And that through his historical research, he's learned more um, from the 19th century people that you introduced at a very soft level, Gustav Zander, Dudley Sargent, Charlie Taylor, and so forth, uh, when it comes to exercise machines. And he's been spending a lot more time diving into learning more about them and their contributions to exercise. Putting that preamble aside in his words, and I've even paraphrased that, he wanted me to ask you, if you look back in history, if you could, in 120 years from now, have one sentence that people regarded you and how you influenced the exercise industry, what would you like that sentence to say? 
I would rather they were interested in important things that are occurring 120 years from now and not have any clue who I was. How's that? All right. All right. <laughs> but let's pretend. Without let's pretend. Doubt, without a doubt, I would like to be known for the first Bowflex infomercial because it was so bad it never even aired after 3 a.m. in the morning the first time. It was so bad. That's what I <laughs> Man, if you got it if you're not willing to be known for your mistakes, everybody wants to be known for their decent stuff or their good stuff or maybe they're I think people I think Michael Jordan would be best remembered for whatever bad game he might have had. Sure. That's the one he learned from. Well, if, play my game for a second, and you can tell me, Brandis, F off if you want, and I get it, and I, and I would be the same, but if, if forgetting about what you want people to say about you, what do you think people will say about you in 120 years? They look back, and they look at, because you, I mean, putting aside, and you're humble when it comes to talking about this stuff, I know you are, um, you've had some major influence. You've been consulting for Nautilus, big part of Bowflex, you did the infomercials, you've created a program that absolutely is game-changing for sure, like, objectively speaking. What do you think? I think it's really, really simple. Honestly, it would be nice if the thing that people recognize most is they learn to actually think through, problem solve, how to work with an individual that nobody else can work with because they're just throwing stuff at them the way people, the way doctors dispense pharmaceuticals. They're just dispensing exercises, you know, and that to me would be the best thing because that's what it was all about in the first place. I was trying to teach people not a certification, I hate those, and not a club to join or follow. I don't want followers. I think the sickness is that, oh, who, how many people follow me? Oh, who do you follow? It's like, why don't you be a leader in your life, man? But, um, right? I mean, it's like clients and, 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 you know, the analogy of most clients and patients um, compared the same things going on in these quasi-professionals. Um, they're both in the passenger side of the car they're driving that's called their lives or their careers. And they're not even driving it. They're just sitting and waiting for someone to come sit and drive for them. And, um, but that would be the whole thing is if someone, and people do say this to me. And I, sometimes people say, wow, I owe everything, everything to you. And I just, I almost, I have so much trouble because I don't even feel like that's a good thing to say because it's just not true. Listen, I mentioned an idea event where there was 1,500 people in a lecture. Brandon, if you were there and you walked out and you actually figured out how to do something from that and nobody else did, I talked to all 1,500 of you. If you're the only one who got it, then was the difference me or was it you? Question. You know, it's your, yeah. you, how fertile is the soil you're casting the seeds on? So, so that brings um, up a question. That brings up something I wanted to ask you about that, if you don't mind. Um, of all the stuff that you've taught, I mean, you've talked about the evolution of your programs, right? We talk about RTS Lecture to RTS 123 to Continuum Training to the RTS 123s now and the Mastery Evolution, and there, you've done an incredible job with it. When you're creating your content, are you trying to speak and share information to as many as people possible so they can start thinking? Or are you trying to find the people, the one in the 1500, so to speak? Six hundred people apply to medical school. They take ten percent of those people, and when those people graduate medical school, you only want about three or four of those as your doctor. <laughs> right. So I am not interested in. It used to drive me crazy when people would say, "Oh, you need to be able to scale this thing and get thousands of people through." And I'm like, "But then it would just be like everything else. 
There's, this is not for everybody. Medical school is not for everybody. This requires not motivation, it requires commitment. It requires a passion for working with people and a passion for problem solving. Ego just gets in the way. You've gotta be more concerned about the patient than your own workout. Um, certainly apply it to yourself later. I'm not dismissing that, but I'm saying the whole thing should be, man, when Mr. or Mrs. Jones walks in, that is just like candy to you in terms of a kid in a candy store, in terms of let's see what problems we can solve today. I, I have zero interest in working with quote unquote healthy people. And quite frankly, I don't know any. Everybody's got something. Um, but people just wanna lose weight, that's boring. I need, I, I need 10 or 12 problems, orthopedic and otherwise. I've got a guy right now who is, that I took on, and you know I don't take on people. Um, I had a friend call and say, I've got, a, I've got a guy who really needs you and you are likely to want to see him and he's of the mindset to, and I told him I'm gonna videotape everything. He was on a motorcycle going about 100 and hit the back of a car that he was, he was passing a truck and didn't, didn't see the car that was going 50. So he basically had a head on at 50 miles an hour in the back of a SUV broke his face, broke his pelvis, broke his gas tank with his pelvis, um, had a leg just about hanging off. They had to decide whether they're gonna amputate it or um, put it back on. They put it back on. So it's it's not interested in doing much. And I've been working with him for about four months and I love it because he's got some slowly returning neurological damage. He's got a knee that is just waiting on a replacement. So there's not a dadgum thing I can do wrong with it. So I get to experiment all I want to. Um, same thing with his ankle. After the surgery, he had all this external fixation stuff. Anybody's seen that? Look up Hoffman device or whatever on the internet, but there's a lot of versions now. It's basically a bunch of rods sticking out of the bones and it's got clamps on the outside and holding it all together. There wasn't even enough bone to put pins in initially. So that to me is fun. I have to figure out every single rep of every single thing we do. What can we try that's reasonable? What can we try that's maybe not reasonable? Let me just think about that before I do it. I've got to explore everything. So, and that's that again, going back to your previous question, that's the thing I would really like to be able to pass on. And that's what I'd like people 120 years from now to go. That's what I learned from this guy is always question myself, keep thinking, never assume I'm right. It's an experiment. It's a constant and constantly evolving investigation. I love that term instead of assessment. It's an ongoing investigation we hear from, you know, police shows. That's what every rep is to me. So, um, I don't know. I go back to your question for a second. I got stuck on the question before. What were you uh, saying? I actually have lost my train of thought. I won't lie. I kind of got off tangent a little bit there too. You can make well, fun of me also, for that if you want. You're reading it. You're, you're doing two jobs at the same time. I got comments going on all different sides here. So I'll tell you, I mean, with what you said there, Johnny Cook said a few things. Uh, talking about like the past. Johnny Cook always says a few things. Yeah. He, <laughs> right. He talks about the stuff, the pack, the uh, way the courses were a while ago. He said those were the fun days. Uh, he satirically asked, um, how do you have such amazing TV hair on top of, um, and if you were to talk to him and maybe people of his generation, uh, he'd be curious of how you would describe the content has evolved uh, since he went through it. So I think the TV here is a very important question as well, too. Well, I think the first thing to hair is you have to have some. Um, and then the next thing is, it's just all luck slash DNA. Look, it doesn't matter what I do to my hair, okay? If I do this, it goes back. So I don't know what to tell you about that. 
Yeah, I don't know. I got the I got the one distant Jewish grandparent that has no hair that's decided to gift me with the balding patterns. I'm really excited about that. So what you got going on? Good combo, Grandpa Ted. <laughs> no thanks. Yeah, I don't know about the hair thing. Um, anyway, how has it evolved? Oh uh, well, man, I'm gonna go to it. I've gotten better, I think. I hope at taking the classroom type stuff and blending it better with applicability. I certainly got some of the, from my experiences with monstrously screwed up people. And it's fun because like my screwed up guy, half one of his body's normal and fine. And he was in CrossFit before, right, for better or for worse. And so I've got one side that I have to negotiate with to get it to move a, one degree in a week. And then I've got this other side, I can kick its ass. So he's really, he's a full spectrum guy. But um, what we do in the gym, what we teach in the hands-on is very different because we didn't do a lot of training each other back then. It was more of me talking about it and showing it, it always devolved into that. And now it's like, okay, you need to get over there and the cues I just showed you as, an, as, as one place to start, deliver those and then modify. And it's absolutely amazing to me that people don't get where cues come from. They just start repeating the words I said. And I was like, but dude, that's not working for him. Change the freaking words to where it works. Make it, and then the other part, of course, the person acting as the client, they already know what they're supposed to do. And I'm like, do what he says. Your best interpretation of what he says. Don't do what I already taught you to do. But that's a really interesting thing there. So we are, this thing is about becoming better at working with clients. So the way we deliver can't be rote. And that's one of the biggest things we try to, to work on, as well as I have learned so much about profiles. I don't think I knew anything. I'm pretty sure I knew zero about profile resistance strength profiles back then compared to what I know now. And then how to modify equipment without a welder is some things that I've really gotten <clears throat> much better at. And I'm sure we'll, I mean, I hope I get continue to get better. But with things in the gym that I, I didn't think that I would have said before, this is not going to work, which is always a mistake. You've got to try. But um yeah, so those are a couple of things, but I'm telling you, the the continuum training aspect, which really didn't exist back then, no, didn't exist at all. I didn't even start working on that until it was a little half-page thing in, in early 2013. And then it worked its way up to about a 60-page manual by itself. That is, without a doubt, the best thing I've ever done. It's not done. It'll never be done. But this idea, I literally sat down to try to figure out what is, I've been saying the word thought process since the day I, since 1989, when I started teaching it. The first NASM course, I was one of the founding presenters and developed their biomechanics originally. They don't have any now. But, um, so, develop, I keep saying thought process, but what is that thought process? People would always say, oh, you have to have a thought process. You have to have, and I was like, well, then what's yours? And they're like, well, you know, you just think. And I'm like, what are we, this is that movie, uh, Idiocracy, where you just keep saying, you know, uh, electrolytes over and over, and it's apparently the answer to everything. But- um, I gotta have electrolytes, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that's the thing. It's like, what, what is the continuum of abilities or inabilities of an individual? And it's not an individual, it's the, the various parts of their body. What, their ankle's different than their shoulder different. And then what are we gonna do about that? And finally figured out a way to stop just beating up functional training as it was presented historically and still is very often out there and blending it together in its own exercise continuum where do certain things fit in 
And defining the idea of progression as there, yes, there's a prerequisite progression very often where something has to be done before something else, but there's also concurrent progression where I can work on someone's quads while teaching them to squat through the range they currently control, as I have done with my now 101-year-old client, who's more healthy than most of the people in my gym. So um, that's that would be the thing that is the single biggest change is a more formalized thought process, but it's not a protocol. It's simply a series of questions to ask yourself to guide your investigation, if that makes any sense. Does that make sense? It makes sense. So, um, and it really didn't exist when you came. It didn't exist when you came through either. Um, some of it started from the missing links. Some of those questions started from the missing links. And I know you taught some of those. Those were fun. Um, and those were all about getting people to think. We, we put answers up on the board or the paper that was derived from class more than our own preconceived ideas, if you remember. So, oh yeah, very much so. I still think I that, that was one of the funnest. I don't know people understand, but um, most of the instructors that have ever um, worked for me have never seen this. And it's uh, the way it evolved during the last five years. Um, the vast majority of students that came through because that started back in the 90s um, haven't seen it. Uh, so the people that think they know RTS absolutely do not. And that is one of the things that is a little bit frustrating to me is someone comes through it in 99 or 09 and they think they know what occurred in 19. While without a doubt, that foundation is very similar and maybe taught better some of it is is has some very different insights into it based upon new things i've read based upon new information that's been presented to me but the biggest thing is this thought process now is something i can teach and it it's what it's on since i just 2013 so you know it's eight years old in and of itself and it is easily the biggest thing in my mind that i've ever done and for the people for the people who, um, the people who have learned it as part of their RTS mastery experience, they can't imagine the struggle really if they hadn't learned that. Because you know, once you've once you've been shown this light of how you might think through this, again, power lifter, this high jumper, and then this hundred year old guy, and then a guy with half a leg, how would we think through those? Because it's all the same process of thinking. It's just very different answers at each step along the way. And, and so um, you have to get rid of your biases. You have to get rid of any preconceived anything. Listen, it, I, I'm not a martial artist, but I can't imagine a martial artist saying, oh, yeah, I've already decided what I'm going to do in this fight. I've already decided which punches and kicks I'm going to throw. I'm gonna I've already decided when I'm going to start grappling. I've already decided well, at what second I'm going to win the fight. I've already decided. Can you imagine that? Isn't this an organic thing? So is training people. You don't know how someone's going to show up this session. You don't know what they're going to need. You sure don't know on the first session what assessment you should be doing because you don't know if the assessment is even appropriate or tolerable for this individual. So that's why this thought process is really, really, really important. Because who walks in and how they walk in and what they bring with them should change everything. You shouldn't make any decisions beforehand except I'm going to try to look for some stuff. And that's real mastery when you don't have to preconceive anything. I swear all the original assessments by the YMCA and all that stuff, given that they didn't tell us anything about fitness and they didn't tell us anything about health. And rarely does somebody go back and reassess them 
right? They, I swear they were just to make trainers feel less uncomfortable on the first day. So they didn't look stupid. So anyway, hi, Johnny. Yeah. Listen, I actually, I got, I got one last question for you where, where we'll kind of pin it, put a pin it today. Um, so your audio is just doubling back a little bit. Something changed. Is it? A little bit. It's just my computer, so I don't know what to do about it. All right. Well, I'm going to try something here. Um, so the last question I want to ask you, you talked about how RTS, people take, took RTS in the 90s and how that people like still think they know the information. And then in 2000s, and then a lot has changed. Um, I know a lot of trainers that I've talked to at various levels, even like 20 years ago, will kind of embrace themselves as an RTS trainer. And they will talk to people like, oh, you know, people like us. We've taken RTS. I'm like you. We get it. And it's this kind of like related, this, uh, this team thing. And I'm wondering, I think I know your answer and I don't want to like assume, but do you think that that like legacy of several decades of portraying something and this kind of like, I'm an RTS teammate, whether or not they're up to date with the current information, do you think that that community cult-like connection in their eyes is something that helps you get in front of the people that you want to be in front of? Or do you think it's a pain in the I think it hurts. I think it's a hindrance. Right. I don't need representatives. I don't need followers. I am not your team leader. You are not on my team because I don't have a team. We are independent people trying to help clients. We have nothing to do with each other. I am not a fan of a community because what often happens, I mean, it can be okay. It can be a good thing, but it usually deteriorates into something that is not good and not helpful. And man, stand on your own two feet. You don't, if you know what you're doing, and you keep working on it as a master, you don't need to lean on anybody. You certainly, as you told me one time, you learned from your grandfather, Brandon, that something about when we were talking about, you were asking me questions before you opened your business. And you know, your grandfather said, stand on the shoulders of whatever the thing was. Basically, giants. stand on the shoulders of giants. If you, think, yeah. if you think somebody has something to offer you, you don't have, you don't have to, you don't have to do what they say, but man, take it in and file it away. Learn everything you can from them. And that's a, to me, that's a mentorship thing. It's like, it, it's not a followership thing. Um, it's learn from it and then figure out how to stand on your own two feet. Listen, at some point, Chris Graney had this great analogy. It was like, at some point, the kid needs to stop reaching for mom's hand across the street. They need to learn to look both ways, which usually mom says they need to learn. And then there's progression, cross with me, but don't have it in my hand. At some point, we don't need a community that's holding hands. We need a community that appreciates each other as individual thinkers, doesn't have to fight just because we're not embracing each other. But man, everybody's at a different level. We need to encourage people to think. And and I, I'm just such a big independent, um, encouraging person i i think too many times it's easier for stragglers and half-assers to say they're part of the community that's part of the reason i don't like it i'll tell you right now anybody who ever really knew me and and first of all if they didn't come to mastery they're not remotely even part of this community not remotely they have no idea what's happening right and if they think they got something that's helpful i'm glad but they have not even the proverbial tip of the iceberg that's they haven't even been there so, and if that makes somebody mad, I'm sorry. Um, but if you're going to use my trademark in your best interest, better get your ass down here and learn 
what exists. That's one of the reasons I created that queuing and doing that uh, queuing, doing and updates. Because I got tired of people coming back for mastery recertification or CUs or whatever, and then having to choose to come to lower or upper or whatever when there were where there were updates across the board. So that's why I created this kind of three dayish thing. So we could we could talk about anything we wanted to based on whether someone came through in 2002 or 2012. And um, anyway, yeah, I'm I'm not trying to shun people. I'm trying to promote them as individuals. And know if someone wants to even consider themselves as part of my team, they need to be phenomenal and they need to put themselves on the spot. It is not something you show up at 10 years ago or 20 years ago or at the lowest level of kindergarten and then pretend you're part of it or know anything about it. That is not an educational process. I hate that I have an organization. I hate that it never had a certification. It is an educational process, period, and that's all. And you don't just become a member of an educational process. You participate. Yeah, you got to show up, you got to figure it out, and keep doing it. Tom, I love having you on, man. You got so much wisdom and fun stuff. I got so many questions. I mean, I, we could probably go for another hour or two. Uh, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to poke some people and see if we can do like a collaboration roundtable kind of thing and have some discussions. I think that'd be a lot of fun. And uh, if we can get uh, McMillan out of the cave to come up here with us and whomever else, I think that'd be a blast. You know, now that the guy's not grunting and groaning in the background, which is the only thing I could hear, now you want to stop. That's, I know. that's typical you. I know. Listen, I, I mean, he was warming up for a long time, making some warm-up noises, and I'm sorry that it bothered you, but now he's really working out and he's being quiet. No, man. Yeah. Dude, you know, I, I'm always looking for something that bothers me, so that's just part of the MO, right? I can do a lot of things to bother you if you want. I know that I've done a bunch of things, so. <laughs> yeah, you're skilled. Awesome. Well, Tom, thank you so much for being on. I know we had a lot of questions, a lot of viewers. If anyone, your question wasn't answered, I'm going to keep note of them, and I'll ask Tom again, and I'm going to sneak them on in the near future. So, man, thank you so much, man. You're awesome. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, everybody.